You may find this hard to believe, but 60 songs that explain the 90s, America's favorite poorly named music podcast is back with 30 more songs than 120 songs total. I am your host, Rob Harvilla, here to bring you more shrewd musical analysis, poignant nostalgic reveries, crude personal anecdotes, and rad special guests, all with even less restraint than usual. Join us once more on 60 Saws That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. This episode of The Ringer F1 Show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive. Because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. It is the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined on a Monaco Wednesday by Spencer Hall. Spencer, you don't like you're in Monaco right now. What gave it away? Not on a boat. <laughs> people don't understand that race, but a lot of people you're talking to, they're either uh, not in Monaco or they're on a boat just off the coast of Monaco because there's nowhere to sit. There's nowhere to do your shit. There's nowhere to file your assignments. It is, it is tinier than it looks. It is tinier than it looks. Also, the people like the rank and file worker, whether that's a media member or somebody else, they have to stay in like Nice. So the amount of time actually in Monaco is, is negligible. It's a stage. It's like a lot it's of a stage. It's F- a TV studio. F1 is such a big production that it really does turn places into sound stages less than places. And Monaco is the premier example of that. I have a friend of a friend who was in the NFL and they were like, they were a player and they were like, hey, what's the, what's the hookup in Monaco? Like, who do I call for tickets? And I was like, buddy, you know a lot more than me because you have access to billionaires and then the billionaires have access to boats. I can't, there's no, there's no like, hey man, I'm going to hook you up with our, my Monaco ticket guy. That's not happening. So you just go and you, and you just find someone who owns some hedge fund manager who either owns a boat or knows someone who owns a boat. And then you sit on their boat. To put it into perspective, Red Bull sponsors, not one, but essentially two F1 teams is a cornerstone of the sport financially. And for a hospitality area, they have in the past built their own island off the coast that's <laughs> red bull had to do that they couldn't say can we have this room over here no they had to go build their own floating entertainment area wow um what an event it's this sunday i'm looking forward to it i have a little bit of f1 withdrawal um just because the schedule's been so sparse uh, for a handful of reasons obviously Imola has the flooding gets canceled um the sparse schedule at the beginning of the season um with china not being on the schedule and, and and there was supposed to be sort of a run of f1 races that hasn't started yet hopefully it does very soon hopefully everything gets off without a hitch what we're going to do today hot take mailbag we will not 
be talking about two things. Number one is the weird Lewis to Ferrari buzz that Toto Wolf had to knock down today that was on a couple of podcasts this week. I will say, Spencer, that I feel like F1 is a little bit in the college football zone where like random message boards can can actually generate news to where people have to respond to it, like the Jimbo Fisher sliced bread thing. Like no one's seriously talking about Lewis to Ferrari, but it's gotten so much buzz and we're so bored that we just have to say, hey, Lewis to Ferrari. Yeah, you have to do that because, because it's also possible. The, it, it's such a small universe that when you entertain the number of options for arrangements between teams and drivers, that would make <laughs> sense. It's not, it's not an insane idea, given everything that... If I look at... I, I'm Captain ADHD, so I'm always like, you know, everyone's dead. Heat, death of universe. I've already played out the whole thing to the end. And if you look at what Mercedes has, Mercedes has an obvious transition point. The obvious transition point is George Russell as primary driver. Lewis moves on to the kind of emeritus status that you see somebody like uh, Alonso currently enjoying in F1 that is kind of a tradition that you have guys who inevitably move on, race at a slightly diminished level for several years for a lesser team. And that would fit like the most blue ribbon version of that is Hamilton going to Ferrari. If we're playing the fantasy game, it makes sense. I, I And I, I don't hate it at all. So I get that we have to come out and we have to play silly season in mid-season because there's so little going on and because the media environment's pretty small. The number of people, again, this is what happens. You can have so much fun when you have a tiny little pool with a lot of people looking at the fish in it, right? You go, <laughs> that, that's, that's what we're talking about with F1. So yep. if there is one rumor like this and it gets out, it tends to go from tiny little pool everyone's watching to everyone's eyeballs very quickly. That's right. And well, I'd also say if you think Lewis is frustrated by Mercedes, wait till he gets to Ferrari. Oh. That's, that's, that's my take on it. I actually want to see it for that. For that. For Mr. Qu- like, all the, the grace that he has shown in a lot of situations and all that stuff, wait till he gets in Ferrari and, and you see that and you would see a very different Lewis. We will also not be touching very much on the fact that Honda has announced they will be making an engine for Aston Martin, which means in 2026, by the time new regulations come in, there will be six engine makers in the sport, um, which I am hugely intrigued by. I think that's going to help shake up the sport a little bit. Do you think this is kind of an L for McLaren, who are going to be probably the only, I heard some some folks talk about this on Sky this morning, um, really the only customer team with any ambition so either they've got to figure this out or they're going to be in a different era so i, I don't know what that is you know has, has mclaren looked into indycar if they really like i know <laughs> i know they're i know they i know they're big in indycar have they thought about being bigger it's just my question uh, nascar mclaren nascar but the, don't don't play with my heart don't the mclaren nascar the mclaren nascar team incredible this episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, all right. So uh, we're going to do hot take mailbag. We've got to, we've got 10 here. I want to just briefly blow past this one because we got a late email this morning. I didn't email it to you. Gonna, a late email from Adam Burke with the, probably the best idea of, the, of this group. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Shouldn't Mercedes blow way past the cost cap to get back into contention, spend an extra $100 million, take the harshest penalty you can possibly have, and then for the remainder of the regulation set, be better than what they are? Yeah. Do it. <laughs> All right, yeah, I mean, we're in agreement. There's hon- honestly nothing to dive into. The answer is yes. If you ask me whether you should break an imaginary law, I suggest you do it immediately. There's a two-part podcast series that Dale Earnhardt Jr. did. And when Dale came on Slow News Day, I asked him about this, that is literally, he just, and I honestly think that he, this should just be a genre. He just had old drivers on and it was literally, the podcast was literally just called Cheating Stories. And they just talked about how they cheated for like, in like 1987 for like two hours. This is, this is not a tradition in NASCAR. It is, it is part and parcel of everything that they have ever done. And I all, suspect all that is the case across multiple motorsports. We just don't have as much a celebration of it as NASCAR has had. That is an extension, by the way, of rain delay talk. Rain delays are among the greatest things that could happen in NASCAR. You don't have an F1 because you're just going to, for the most part, unless it becomes completely untenable, you're going to finish the race. NASCAR, they got to stop because those are bricks. Uh, they don't exactly maneuver at all. You're just kind of putting them in a washing machine, right? So the idea of them trying to make any kind of move or turn in the rain it's insane. But when they had rain breaks, Kevin McReynolds would come on and he and Daryl Waltrip would just talk about how they cheated. That's all. If there was a rain delay on Fox, <laughs> they would just say, hey, people are watching. How do we keep them from leaving? And they're like, let's tell about our crimes. Let's just talk about all our crimes. Oh, boy. Um, I do think that NASCAR, maybe even F1 too, there needs to be, they need to establish a statute of limitations so that like once that's up, then they can be like, all right, it's been six years. Let me tell you exactly how we won this driver's championship. That That's what they need to be able to do. I want that story with Red Bull this year, frankly. I do. <laughs> and we want that story in ne- next year after Mercedes spends an extra $100 million on catering. I mean, I will go ahead and say what people are thinking, which is, yeah, Max Verstappen's an amazing driver. Is he that much better? Is the car that much better? Why is the car that much better? <laughs> and, and and more importantly, how many Bond villains have to die for us to find out why? <laughs> I need to know. It's like uh, it's it's Horner's got that little table from Thunderball where he's just got like twelve random uh, car designers who are just just updating him on how they're skirting the rules just a yeah. little bit. Doing the Will Ferrell scene from Austin Powers, <laughs> yep. where that's he's exactly very right. Badly burned. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, uh, we're gonna get to let's, let's fix Monaco here. We have two questions. One is from Tyler Crotty. One is from Hector Rodriguez. We'll start with this. Should we keep Monaco and have them drive tiny sports cars instead? No. Uh, <laughs> no. This is, a, this is a dumb idea. Now, it doesn't mean I don't like it. 
because I like a lot of dumb ideas. For instance, uh, I believe Tyler Carter also, uh, Hector Rodriguez also uh, suggests that in the next one, not to jump ahead, but that they race in hot hatchbacks. Brother, let me introduce you to the to the, the like the Monte Carlo Rally, okay? Which is like, let me introduce you to the rally that they do up in the hills, where you can see the actual geography of this place, which is insane because they race on ice and snow on a mountain just a little bit above where they're going to have this very expensive F1 race. I We'll get into this. I love Monaco. People say, well, there's no passing. I don't give a shit. The idea of trying to maneuver the car through a city circuit is, to me, one of the oldest and purest forms of racing. And if it is a glorified time trial, it joins the, the ranks of multiple other tracks on the circuit because that happens other places too. The scenery, the cultural import that is Monaco to the sport. And to me, the visuals, I think the visuals are fantastic. People will say, oh, nothing happened in the race. Man, I'm just turning on the race tomorrow to watch guys do an admittedly difficult circuit at crazy speeds accurately. That's it. That's it. And then I'm going to watch like the pomp and circumstance surrounding it. There's no other track in the world where a driver can quit and walk onto his own yacht, which is something that has happened. Love you, Kimi. Thank you for doing that. So the next question that's grouped in here is whether or not it should become an all-star race for, for money, kind of like NASCAR has all-star races, all that stuff, and it's not a points thing. I'm with you on loving Monaco, and I find a lot of the arguments against it very strange. We know what the state of play with Monaco is, which is if you qualify first without a complete sort of strategy disaster or an engine failure. And in some cases, even if you have engine failures, like our friend Daniel Ricardo, you can still figure it out and sort of, sort of block everybody until you win, okay? But I think that there's... Is there some issue where we can't celebrate Saturday as much as we celebrate Sunday in the sport and say, okay, like I, I, someone, I was just reading about someone talking about the, mo- the, the most uh, famous qualifying lap ever, right? And it was Senna around Monaco and I think 88 and the onboard to that is unbelievable. And that's just what Monaco is. I don't understand. We can have, there wasn't any passing in Azerbaijan. And I mean, Monaco is prettier and more famous and more interesting. And we know the turns and, you know, I think I, um, when I was in Monaco last year, just kind of walking around, like, you get blown away by just seeing, like, the pillar in the tunnel, you know? And you're just like, holy crap, look at that. I recognize that little, that structural load-bearing beam. Like, I it just randomly, you just see it. And it's like, there's something to be said for nostalgia. There's something to be said for pretty pictures. You know, like, I've said this a million times. At its most basic, at its most basic, even if you don't care about tire degradation, even if you don't care who who y- Yuki Tsunoda is, Formula One can be just a travel show. It can be a travel show. It can be a people-pleasing travel show in the same way like, you know, HBO Max just rebranded into Max and it's just going to be all this crowd-pleasing HGTV bullshit. And it's like, that's, you can do that with F1. And I think if one race out of the year is that, I'm okay with that. Yeah, if it's this one, I'm all right with it. Yeah. If you get it, if it, all of a sudden it becomes something else, I yeah, this is the only race where I I will lower my standards. Yeah, I don't know if you're even lowering them. To me, to me, Saturday is the event, and that's yes. fine. Like Saturday is the event, and then um, the rest is fine. And sometimes transcendent if you have a Senna, that's always the ra- the rule racing wise. By the way, if there's somebody 
with that kind of talent, maybe you do actually get something interesting happening. But I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it if it's bad, and I'm good with it if it's if it's good, and if this race never changes and they never ever fix anything about it, that's fine because I, I'm generally against the idea of trying to fix races. Just come right out and be like, do we want more money from people who have more money in order to put another <laughs> more profitable race on the schedule? Just do that. I've seen circuits do this before in the name of expansion. I will tell you, it does not end well. The other thing I would say is that I think some of the complaints from F1 on the commercial side about Monaco are about the deal they have with the track and not the actual excitement. If Monaco had the same deal as everybody else, and I saw today that um, for the first time, F1 will actually produce the broadcast because they, they, they have all these weird grandfathered-in rules about finances and, and that kind of stuff. So F1 is producing the broadcast, which I think is a little better. I think there have been some complaints about that in the past couple of years. But it's a little bit of, uh, of the dark ages on some of those rules. But I think in general, like I'm, I'm okay with keeping... like The Green Bay Packers are owned by you know, weird fake shareholders, right? Like sometimes when things are old, there are weird rules around it. Yeah. Like college football. Like, like college as with, as, or, or for instance, a multinational sport spanning many continents involving many extremely moneyed players, all with their own extremely unique peccadillos about how they like things run. That, that's F1. And I don't, that's I don't F1. want that to go away. And nobody pays taxes. It's Monaco, baby. <laughs> Sunshine's free. Do you think we should do something where like only the point scorers at Monaco get to keep their Monaco citizenship? I think I think the winners should get Monaco citizenship if they don't have it already. And everybody and 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 everybody else has to pay their fair share of taxes. Um, all right, and you got to call them Monegasque, by the way. Like <laughs> it's a shame when people are like Monacan or he's from Monaco. Monegasque. Use the word. It's awesome. Also, if Leclerc doesn't win, even though he's from Monaco, born and raised, he would have to renounce and pick another country. He was at Yankee Stadium a couple days ago. Yeah, that's he, listen, from, from what I saw, by the way, of him playing soccer, Monaco, yes. Monaco's World Cup fortunes, I know that you already probably estimate them as very low. Take them a little lower. Take it down. All right. Um, let's get into two Red Bull topics. Let's start with uh, uh, Yuan Wang, who said... Who, by the way, last year, they, they responded to the same thread as last year because we have a show email address, ringerf1show.gmail.com. And last year, uh, this was the person who said Toto Wolf is a fraud. We reacted to it. We said he wasn't a fraud. Um, I still don't think he's a fraud, but he's more fraudulent than he was. So here is the, the revised take from Juan. Um, basically, he says, you know, keep bringing it keeping Nui throughout this entire um, era, keeping him happy, keeping everybody happy, um, managing the drivers, all of this stuff. Basically, everything we've ever said about Toto, we should actually be saying about Wolf. Is this correct? Uh, sorry, about Horner, excuse me. It would be correct if everybody thought that Toto Wolf was solely to credit for Mercedes well-being, health, and success over the last decade. I, but I, I think a newer brand of fan accidentally thinks that because of the F1 trip. I think that may be the case. I can't help that. To me, the notion that, to me, the notion that 
Horner doesn't get enough credit as mad to me, even if you're a even if you're a drive to survive guy, because he's so willing to step into the spotlight. And they've been so successful. And I, I would hope, I would hope. Like I, I don't want you to I don't ever want you to watch sport and feel like you have to do homework. I don't. Homework's vol- like education's voluntary and rich and fun. Homework sucks. I don't want you to have to go back and read all the histories. I fully believe, as somebody who occasionally enjoys being a dumbass, that you should just be able to walk in as a dumbass and appreciate a sport. It should be real obvious. However, I do think Horner had a tougher gig. I think he had a tougher gig. Now, if you want, and I think that's what's at the core of um, of Yuan's whole comment here is that Horner doesn't get enough credit. I would agree because I don't think we understand how difficult that challenge was. And in in really building a team that doesn't have a lot of the legacy resources that Mercedes has. Um, and I just say that as being like attached to this giant engineering Borg that is Mercedes. That, that to me, you're probably right. Now, do people worship Toto? I think people think Toto has a cool voice and demeanor, and that's not wrong. That's it. He sounds like the Austrian death machine every time he talks. And that's really, really cool. Did he have it handed to him? Uh, to an extent. To an extent, he inherited a lot of really good stuff. But he managed it well, and I don't think that should be overlooked either. Okay, a couple of things. Uh, I was thinking about during your answer, first of all, Horner's a badass. Like, look up his, I think, look up his racing career and what he was able to do with, when he did less with, more with less, basically. And that's always my gauge on somebody is, do they deserve the huge job because they maximized their resources somewhere else? Or went above and beyond maxing up their resources. I mean, like, I always think about someone like Alex Ferguson, who was winning games he shouldn't have managing a Scottish team and all of a sudden he's going against some some greats in European competition and beating them with the damn Scottish team. I know you probably don't want to hear this, but I look at someone for our American listeners like Urban Meyer, who was doing a lot of things at Utah that he should not have been doing. That's what I always look at. Christian Horner is that type of guy. There's an amazing anecdote in Adrian Newey's book, How to Build a Car, where basically like he asked for a certain amount of money for a salary. He asked for a budget. And the Red Bull people, this is when they were first starting the team, Red Bull people were just like, no, this is crazy. And then they brought him back and they're like, hey, man, we checked around and it turns out you're totally worth it. So here's that check you asked for. And there was like no further negotiation. And Red Bull was always going to spend. And we know that. I mean, like, listen, this was kind of what Aston Martin's doing right now in the cost cap era. Like, we know what it takes. But Red Bull was always going to do that. I look at Horner, frankly, a little bit like a Pep Guardiola type with Manchester City, where it's like the resources and the investment got you to a certain place. And then the last part of it is a, a management style, a understanding of how to do things like, you know, to further that, like Chelsea right now is spending ungodly sums of money for for nothing, for, for, for players who I don't even think are going to improve what they're doing. I was going to say, you can mess up that inheritance. That that's the thing. You can inherit all of it and then squander all of it, which is something that I would argue neither Toto nor Christian have done, and they deserve some credit for that. I, Christian to me has one thing that you cannot duplicate, and it's cussedness. I, I don't think he's so obstinate and so clear when he communicates with drivers and personnel at every level. You know how hard it is to be threatening without being threatening? 
Do you know how hard it is to have a standard and to be firm about that standard and to not be a complete dick, right? Like, I think it's sure, it's clear that he doesn't care too much about likability, but to maintain that kind of tension and balance in an organization without tipping it over, making it a hostile workplace or someplace that people want to flee, that's unreal. That, that's hard. That's, that's a hard balance to keep and to not burn out or burn out the people around you. I think team principals became caricatures over the past five years because of the Netflix show. And I think that there are, there's a deeper understanding now, I think, of, the, of kind of, the, I would all call them the drive to survive generation where we're like, okay, we get this now. We can go, go beyond that. Or there's not, and that's fine. Um, but I think you're, the, you're seeing every, every weekend now how good Christian Horner is. And, and also, by the way, I don't think we do this so often. Like, Mercedes is going to be back. Like we can't write off to like I, I I was listening to the Sky Sports podcast this morning with um with Ted Kravitz and those guys and they're basically just saying they think that 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 Mercedes is kind of just sort of psychically resetting the batteries for the next eighteen months and then two years from now they'll be right back where they were that that's sort of the belief inside the paddock now Mercedes has been wrong quite a bit over the past eighteen months so maybe they won't be right on the next not in the next eighteen months but but like I keep seeing all of these, you know, total wolf quotes, the, these upgrades will not be the silver bullet, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, they will catch up. At some point, they will catch up. They have too many resources. The driver is too good. They have too many smart people not to close the gap, but it just might take two years. Yeah, we really need to, anyone's ears picking up the sound, mark this. Things take time when you have large organizations spending hundreds of millions of dollars on machines. It takes time to test them. It takes time to turn the entire organization around. When you say, man, are they really just planning for two years down the road? Brother, that is exactly what they are doing because that's how long it takes to turn these ships around. Are you talking about the full cast? The shutdown full cast? No, that is a tiny little skiff on the ocean of content that can turn on a dime and always in the wrong direction. Still, still spending billions of dollars on it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, just a total money loser. Just a total money pit. Um, all right. So here's another Red Bull take. It's from Blake Kennard. Yuki Tsunoda will replace Checo at Red Bull when his contract expires and will put up a greater competition to Max than Checo ever did. That'd be hard. <laughs> That'd be difficult, y'all. Because, and I don't say that because Yuki isn't great. I think Yuki's quietly having a year everyone's very proud of. Like, his team's thrilled with him. Um, the reports have been glowing. The results, given what that car is and where the team is, have also been superb. Giving Max more of a push than Checo, who, as I rem- may I remind you, um, as of two weeks ago, we were talking about, I don't know, is this a dual championship race for Red Bull? Right? Are they like is, are they going to have tension over this? Until Yuki proves himself capable of doing that, no. Seems it seems improbable to me. I also just don't know what Red Bull looks for in a number two driver after Checo Perez. I literally don't know. I mean, like, remember, Checo was supposed to be the tire guy and a sturdy guy to sort of support in that role. He was never supposed to be someone who was going to be a thorn in Max's side. And I really don't think day to day he is. I think that sometimes there's flare ups on that on that side. Um, but I honestly, a lot of it just comes down to whether or not they want a guy who's going to be sort of a George Russell, hey, he's going to be a future world champion type of role or just a guy who's just going to be Max's Max's support system. Yeah, I'd, I am not clear on what they look for either, but is Yuki that dude? I don't know. He's real young. 
per, you know, he's real young. Personally, he is real raw on the mic, and we find that very, very entertaining. But who's to say how that looks when you're talking about actual stakes in a team that has, you know, things on the line? I uh, There was actually an email we got that I actually didn't throw in here that was a, a conspiracy theory that the reason Daniel Ricardo is rumored to be going to Alpha Towery is not for just to get Daniel back on the grid. It's to for, Al, for Ricardo just to take out Checo. Hmm. I could see that. Just like just sort of being an annoyance on the track. Just be he would be he, he then there'd be another car that would support Max in in check if Checo was started to freelance. So is there a conspiracy theory to be had if Ricardo jumped in the Alpha Tower? Yeah, let's have it. I'm fine. You know what? Like this has been such a such a halting stop start to the season that if you want to supercharge it with a conspiracy theory that hurts no one, yes. Go ahead. I'm totally <laughs> fine doing this, especially if it involves Daniel Ricardo. Um, a year ago, I was ready for him to just start his influencer career and to appear on his podcast whenever um, he liked. I'm willing to push that further if we can go ahead and get another sort of, you know, we can get a little more gas out of an Alpha Tari. Just say the words with me, Kevin. Alpha Tari conspiracy theory. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right. John Miller asks. Just as NFL teams have running back by committee, we've lost half our European audience with that with that lead in. Mm-hmm. Um, should we see lower to mid pack teams do driver by committee? This is an interesting idea because if you're trying to maximize points and you're trying to, if you're Williams and you're just trying to get relevant, do you go with street circuit specialists in some places and and sort of regular drivers on on more permanent tracks. It's not a crazy idea. It would just take a lot more resources and a lot of adaptability from week to week. If you go back and look, this is a tradition in F1. The gentleman driver, the driver by committee, the uh, driver who might only hit four or five races in a year. Um, that wasn't always as a matter of specialization. Sometimes it was more accident than anything else, right? Nigel would like to drive this week. Well, certainly. He has the car, and I need to be in Surrey for something. That's that's happened by accident before. I have, I have, a, vote, I have a vote at Parliament. Right. I, I, must, I must attend to my Antarctic expeditions, but I shall return in a month and a half, you know? I was reading a book about, uh, I believe, about, like, the touch on the Phil Hill Championship in the 60 60- one season, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just like, well, Steve didn't run in uh in in the Netherlands. So he so Phil picked up eight points. And it's like, wait, wait, what? He's just busy? They were just busy? It was 1961. You know, it was uh it was Midsummer's Eve and the pub was hot. <laughs> so I didn't make the race. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. Um, is there any case to be made that we we bring it back? Sure. Well, well absolutely why not? It, because I think there's more of a case to be made now because the move toward analytics across the board, which F1, I would argue, was at the vanguard of just by nature of, of how the sport works, that you can't just say, well, I don't know. I think that car's got that dog in him. No, you can't. <laughs> I need measurements. I need timing. I need things like this. Um, if there is an argument to be made that statistically stands up, there's no need to have the same driver in the car every week. None. Agree. I, I think it'd be a hard, I mean, like NASCAR sometimes has obviously guest drivers, specialist drivers. Um, and so I don't think it's crazy that F1 would have that. I do think it's funny to your point, and we've talked about this before, but like the idea that that F1 has no room for an analytics discourse, because that's just what it is. Like you literally just can't do 
junk science there because it's just data and there's splits and there's all of this stuff. And it's like, I want, I've been getting a little more into baseball because I'm a, a white suburban dad now. Um, and I live, I live t- equidistant between two major league baseball parks. One of them e- easily accessible by train. And the other day I was watching a game and I was just like, let's just bring back RBIs. Like we, we don't, we don't have, we don't use them anymore. Let's bring them back. You know why I can do that? Because there is room in, in, in baseball for just completely irrelevant things that don't mean anything. I'd say we bring more irrational personality based decisions on hunches to F1. That when they say, totally are we doing it or a one or a two stop? I'm like, nah, I'm feeling a two stop. Why? <laughs> it just feels right. Which is weird because, because the air. that's kind of what they eventually come down to a lot of the time. Like you hear drivers go, ah, it feels like a two stop day. And we never get into the explanations of why. Right. And oftentimes if they're right or wrong, is it completely random depending on the circumstances of the race? So yes, more gut level decisions. That's what I want to hear. When I first moved to the suburbs, um, or we were starting to, we were starting to move back and forth stuff. Um, it's October, and I threw on local New York talk radio, as one does when you move to the suburbs. And the first debate I heard was the Michael K show, and it was before a playoff game. And they were just doing 20 minutes and whether or not the Yankees have enough playoff experience, which isn't a debate I just haven't heard in 15 years, and I loved it. I loved it. I was just like, oh my God. Like, I haven't heard a good old-fashioned, does this team have enough experience to get this done? Like, it's not a thing that we talk about anymore. And we know why. But let's bring it back. We're bringing it back. Max is going to falter because he doesn't have enough championship grit. Doesn't have enough clutch gene. (laughs) All right. um, Next one. Delhi Vampire says, what a name, by the way. Um, it's in their Gmail display, so I'm not sure what, what's happening with the Delhi Vampire there. Uh, he thinks, he asks, uh, he thinks, by the way, because this is a statement, that Carlos will win a title before Charles Leclerc. Leclerc has more talent, but last year showed there's absolutely no dog there in him. There we go. There we go. There we go. Um, can you have negative dog in you? That's Charles. Um, he might fall. Carlos might fall into the right car one day, not at Ferrari. There are rumors, by the way, I heard this morning, speaking of silly season, that he is going to be the face of the Audi project in 2026. Carlos, um, Leclerc is going to carry 2022 with him forever. Spencer. Athletes have no memory. I need everyone to remember this. They have no memory, none. And if you don't believe me from a psychological perspective, which is a highly managed an extremely lucrative profession of people who are trained to tell athletes to not have a memory at all. If you don't believe me on that end, believe me on this end. These are people whose brains are wired to go 200 miles an hour without flinching. What makes you think they don't have a complete lack of memory? Because if they did, they would remember what happened to everybody else who goes 200 miles per hour in a car. Sometimes it doesn't end well. I don't think when you say like, oh yeah, Leclerc is going to carry 2022 with him forever in his credit record report. Like, I don't, I don't think that's the way drivers work. I don't think that's the way Charles Leclerc works because if it did, he wouldn't go out there. He wouldn't finish. Yeah. He wouldn't continue racing for Ferrari in the year 2023. So is Saints science going to pick up a title before Leclerc does? I'm going to say no, just based, I'm going to play numbers here. Cause again, I'm an analytics guy. Um, <laughs> science is older. Science is older. He's going to have fewer chances to pick it up. Leclerc is going to have more. I'm going to go ahead and stick with 
with Chuck Leclerc here. He's also a better driver. And then if there's any opportunity, if they have equal opportunity, Leclerc would get that. A um, couple things. You mentioned the, the memory thing. It's really amazing how these guys process this stuff because now they're all pretty efficient in every race. It was funny because I was listening to an interview with Jackie Stewart maybe a couple summers ago on Beyond the Grid where Stewart basically said that he won every race in the first two laps because in those those days, it was just, it was kind of a lot of amateur drivers or semi-professional drivers who were just terrified and trying to figure out the car and like did just literally just trying not to die. If you look at the history of F1 and Jackie was like, cool, I'm just going to go as fast as possible and gain a huge lead while every other driver is just petrified of the machine that they have in their hands. That's not like that anymore. We're not like that anymore. We're good. And, and they're efficient and they, they kind of, they do take every weekend one at a time. Um, and that's why I don't think that I just don't know, even if you carry 2022 with you the rest of the way, I actually don't know where that shows up in your driving unless you get the yips, in which case you would just lose your seat. Yeah. And and I don't see that happening with somebody of his skill. The the only, the only thing you can say is that he's pushing the envelope on a car that is not capable of pushing, but that was true three years ago too, but he didn't change his driving style because of it. It's just that his driving style is being more revealed because the car sucks. Yeah, and and I don't. And by the way, when you know that the car sucks, logically you say it's not me. It's not me. There's one. If there's another thing, the drivers are very good at, and it's figuring out what's their fault and what isn't. Because, as we know, the better you are, the more you complain about everything around you. See Max Verstappen. Speaking of complaining that it's not you, Otis Blum says. If you were Lawrence Stroll, how terrible would your son have to be before you consider firing him as to not waste an Alonzo season? Oh, man. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. That <laughs> It's an amazing... You, you say, oh, man, nothing's happening this season. That's partially true. There's something else happening, which is you have to have a father look at his son, who he's built an entire race team around and become involved with via... Might have to look at him and say... Here's your employee evaluation, and it is deeply subpar. How bad would he have to be to lose his seat? He'd have to be Nikita Mazepin bad. And and honestly, that might not even do it. Because, listen, once once you're about this fail-son life, you, you're, you stay about this fail-son life. It's a complete commitment. I agree. I think he's going to start spinning out at like every race. Yeah. I, I'm in total agreement with you. Or they just give, if he stays this way, if he stays in in this lane, I think he can get three or four more years out of it and then they have to start discussing it. I think the problem is, we talk about Honda coming in. Um, I, I, I think that there's, if the ambition just so greatly outstrips what Stroll, Lance Stroll can give them, then I think you have that discussion. But I think right now, they're just going to let Alonzo have his podiums. It's not hurting anybody. They're not actually contending for a World Constructors Championship. And until they do, I think Lance Stroll is safe. And then he gets promoted to team principal. And all those people who built that amazing car will get demoted. See? The system works. Capitalism makes no mistakes. Uh, I'm going to go out of order here because I want to get to um, a question we got a handful of times. Uh, Is Lando Norris overrated? This is from Nate Lukes. He's a better driver on his team in 2021 and 2022, but that was with Danny Rick as his teammate. 
And in 2019, he finished 11th while Sainz was 6th. In 2020, he finished 9th while Sainz was still 6th. This year, he is 9th and rookie Piastri is 14th, but neither have set the world on fire. He, Nate goes into uh, more of, a, um, of, of an argument as well here. I won't get into it. I'll put it to you, Spencer Hall. Lando Norris? Fraud? Fraud. This is a very New York talk. New York talk radio. I told you. I I literally listened to Michael K on the radio once. And now I'm just like, I'm throwing everything out. I would argue he's properly rated. He's properly rated. And I think most of, I think there is a slight side effect of a lot of the media that we consume about F1 coming out of the UK where we see Lando Norris. And maybe Lando Norris gets mentioned two, three, four times more than he should because he's English and because there is such hope at all times that we will see uh, yet another great English driver ascend to the throne. Um, You know, I think George Russell gets that same bump, right? You know, and, you know, like, they're like, okay, we've had Lewis. Who's next? Who's next? Oh, it's obviously this charming young man. There's a little bit of that, but it's very hard to argue that at this point, a lot of the a lot of the damage that we enjoy inflicting on the durable figure of Danny Ricardo in terms of, oh, his career didn't work out the way it thought it would. Oh, he's made some curious decisions, hasn't he? At this point, it's very hard to not tell a parallel and similar story about Lando Norris. It's one that we probably should tell a little more often. I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. I think that there's also a level of fame that Lando has that, earns him scrutiny. And some of it's English. Some of it's the fact that Grand Central Station, my, my commuter train station, there is a huge advertisement of some luggage company where Lando is just prominently there and it doesn't really even identify him. He's there. He's at that level where there's just a huge picture of him in a New York train station for selling luggage and he's just there. Doesn't say like F1 driver Lando Norris. Like he's hugely famous. Um, he has a profile of someone who we feel like all should be better. But on the other hand, he's young. He's brought some of it on himself, um, where he talked about, I believe that he said that when Carlos Sainz is going to Ferrari, the Ferrari was going to be the sixth best car on the grid. That turned out to not be true. McLaren might be. Um, whether or not, and we've heard he's Mr. McLaren. He loves, aside from Bruce McLaren, who was also Mr. McLaren. But he's he's Mr. McLaren as far as just like... Um, as far as, I'd say, loading, you know, helping out with loading the truck and stuff. So those little anecdotes you hear where it's like he's so into the idea of, of, of a McLaren. But, but uh, what's that ambition looking like? We mentioned the fact that they're going to be a customer team when everybody else becomes a work team in 2026. We might have, Lando might have backed the wrong horse. Yeah. And I think that's not uncommon. That's, I mean, it really isn't. Um, so he's not alone in that. But circumstances sometimes dictate your reputation in a way that's not fair, but very real. Mm-hmm. All right. Last question. Ryan Curtis, not to be confused with Brian Curtis. As F1 becomes dominated by a Red Bull car that is truly elite, the sport needs to inject more strategy than simply finishing first. He proposes points for the top five gainers in each race. So basically where you start, is where you finish, or and where you finish determines uh, more points than than uh, they obviously the one through ten system than it is now. This is an intriguing 
strategy injection, it would change the sport. Would a car like Red Bull try to qualify 12th every single week and then pass everybody? Is that a good thing? Would that be more embarrassing for the sport? I was thinking about this a lot. Um, it would encourage passing, certainly. It would encourage more aggressiveness. I don't know. I don't. Know. It just seems like uh, it would just change the sport too much, Spencer. How would it change how Max Verstappen's run a couple of races this season? It wouldn't have. It would, it would, start... Honestly, Miami would just happen every single week. It would be that every week. We'd figure, remember, every time you start messing with the numbers and go, well, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? I assure you, there's some extremely cynical and willing person on the other side going, fine, we'll adjust our winning strategy to be even more winning. We'll take the number one car and we'll run out of P13 every week just to maximize our points. And Red Bull, the team you're trying to combat, would probably be the first team to do it. Uh, They would figure, they probably, let me tell you something. Red Bull probably has some low-level strategy person listening to this podcast right now. And by the end of it, by the end of the ads, whatever ads we have, they will have run a sim and figured out how to, how to win a championship based on this. Just in case. Just in case. Hey, uh, Steve, can you... Uh, this is my, I have a really bad Christian Horner impression, but you know, can you uh, run the numbers on that? Mm-hmm. Just done. figure it out. Done cool. they've, they've done. Yeah, they well figured done. it out. Uh, Spencer Hall, you're raising money for charity. Tell us about it. Uh, yes, still, still open. Uh, we have just completed the open week of the EDSBS charity bowl.com. You can go there. We raised money for new American pathways this year. We set a record by raising over $900,000 for a refugee service organization here in Atlanta, helping new Americans get a banging start to their American dream. That is what we managed to do this week. If you want to throw in some bucks, hey, EDSBScharityBowl.com won't count in the standings because we break them down by school. Michigan won again, but a strong showing by Texas A&M uh, and another top, another top 10 showing by the University of Florida. Um, obligatory mention on my part. It's still open, but we could get some, I mean, we have an international audience. We could get some we Oxford in there. We could get some Yeah, um, you can, you can write in. You can write in Oxford. If you want to write in Oxford or Cambridge, uh, I, I, by my estimation, by the way, the University of Reading would probably have far more donations than Oxford or Cambridge. They tend to be a little tight with the pockets when it comes to these kind of things. We typically get a lot more mission. We get a lot more large public institution donation than small private, which is why a made-up university called Jet Ski Police Academy, which is an actual option under our drop-down menu to donate by school, has donated more money than Harvard or Yale. Sorbonne, perhaps. Or you can throw it. We can, we can throw it in the Sorbonne. That'd be fine. Um, check him out. Check out the shutdown forecast. Check out his Channel Six newsletter. He's the man. ESPN's debatable, which I'll be on with you at some point once I my child is raised when he's nineteen years old. Yeah, good, 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 good luck getting through those graduations. I did one this morning. Hour and a half, buddy. <laughs> Hour and a half. Spencer Hall, thank you for coming to the Ring F1 show. We'll see you soon, buddy. Thanks, y'all.